This podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action. The world of patient engagement is truly evolving. So this turned into a two-part discussion. In part one, we talked about what patient engagement is from both the industry and patient perspective and we got into its history. That's all in the past. In part two, we turn and look forward because we really want to be tuned in to the arriving future. I am Pajita Vaidya. I'm an expert in patient-focused drug development and have spent over 11 years at FDA and industry, enhancing the collection and incorporation of patient input into medical product development and regulatory decision-making. I also sit on DIA's Global Annual Meeting Program Committee and chair the patient engagement track. Today, we welcome Dave DeBroncard, a cancer survivor, perhaps better known as ePatient Dave. In 2019, Dave delivered the opening plenary speech on the patient experience and engagement at DIA's annual Euro meeting. Thank you for joining us today, Dave. It's great to be here. I would also like to welcome Stacey Hurt, a stage four cancer survivor and 24-7 round-the-clock caregiver for her son with a rare disease. In 2022, Paroxel appointed Stacey as patient advocacy ambassador, the first of its kind role for a CRO. Stacey, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for moderating this important conversation and very honored to be joining Dave here today as well. Stacey and Dave, you have both really provided excellent examples of strategies or programs that have led to really strengthening patient engagement and really truly empowering patients overall. Where do you see the opportunity for us to continue to enhance this engagement? Oh, yeah, I feel super strongly about this. Just from my work every day with sponsors in industry, I have to say really strongly that patient engagement is not a rescue strategy. It is an initial strategy that should be brought right up front as early as possible to inform protocol design and make it patient-centric. So we can design trials that work for patients and caregivers and families. And we know that when patient engagement is activated from the very beginning, that By avoiding one protocol amendment, we can produce a net present value of $62 million by just applying it right up front. So we know that the value is there in bringing in patient engagement from the beginning. So that's number one. Number two, what I'd like to see is since guidance is not a regulation, what I'd really like to see in my perfect world is to take the patient-focused drug development guidance and actually move it into more of a mandate like we saw with the DEPICT Act and actually force sponsors to demonstrate evidence of patient involvement and patients in the design of their trials. I would love to see that. I know that's a pie in the sky. Certainly, I have my bias being a patient and a caregiver. But I really think that there should be some way to hold sponsors accountable for actually incorporating the patient voice. And then lastly, just in regards to digital health, and we're seeing this whole advent and acceleration of artificial intelligence, which should be augmented intelligence and digital biomarkers. I just want to be really clear that tools like that should not replace 
the physician-patient relationship, but they should enhance it. And this goes all the way back to informed decision-making. Tools like this should help empower better decision-making and disease detection and disease modification for better outcomes. My relationship with my oncologist is one of the main reasons why I'm alive today, despite having only an 8% chance of survival. So I would never want anything to replace my oncologist. I would only want him to be more empowered to make better decisions for my care. And then as a patient, understanding what that technology is, increasing all of our level of tech literacy and health literacy, I think there's this concept that these tools, it's like big brother, they're foreign, or they're coming to get my data or anything. The more transparency we have, transparency builds trust. We have a huge trust problem right now in this country and globally. And I think education and awareness is key to that. So that's where I'd like to see patient engagement going in the future. Thank you, Stacey. Start engagement and developing that strategy early. Let's mandate patient-focused strategies overall and technology. It'll support, but not replace. I think those are those are the key points that we definitely want to keep in mind. Dave, thinking about the future from your perspective, I, I'd like you to share some call to action about patient engagement. The first thing I want to say is, Stacey, who knew it's going to be so much fun to have this talk? No, really. Right. I mean, we've crossed paths on Twitter talking about patient engagement in general, but we have never done anything like this. And it's like the cocktail party of my dreams, right? But this is important because so you talked about how your odds of survival were low and it was your relationship with your oncologist that was a huge factor. My median survival at diagnosis from my stage four kidney cancer was 24 weeks. Instead, six months later, my treatment had ended six months after diagnosis. And a couple of months after that, they said, dude, looks like you beat it. But a few years later, when the BMJ asked me to publish my story, I thought, because I'm an old hippie social change activist guy from the 60s, I thought doctors are going to be reading this article. I don't want to just tell my story. I asked my oncologist, what would you want other doctors to know about my case? And what he said, and it's in print, is he said, you were really sick. And I don't know if you could have tolerated enough medicine if you hadn't been so involved, if you hadn't been so prepared. Okay. Now, if that's not a case for action for patient engagement. And what he was talking about, you'll relate to this, I know. The side effects of this drug sometimes kill people. So I said, how do I survive that? And he said, that's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked that. Nobody's ever acted like an engaged patient with us before. So you notice I didn't abandon medicine. First, I asked the doctors. They said, we don't know. So I turned to the patient's that my primary physician, he hadn't said stay off the internet. He showed me where to find a good group. So I asked them and they gave me 17 firsthand stories of surviving this sometimes fatal medicine. And according to my oncologist, my engagement helped save my life. As far as a call to action, I'm something of a futurist, an amateur futurist. Watch out over your shoulder for two things that are coming. One is what I call super patients. A lot of people think this is not possible, but it is true. It's patients who, when medicine says we're out of answers, they pull up their boots and they get to work and they either extend science. Yes, I mean patients extending science, or they, in some cases, they invent treatments. 
Two examples I'll mention is an Englishman named Tal Goldsworthy. He has Marfan syndrome, so he's at high risk of aortic dissection, and he was not interested in the aortic replacement surgery that was on offer. So he thought, I'm an engineer. If we have a pipe that's likely to rupture, we don't cut it out. If we don't have to, we wrap it and get what this guy came up with, and it worked. He exported the CT image of his beating heart into CAD-CAM software and then 3D printed a fabric wrap. So his cardiac surgeon, instead of doing open heart surgery, just opened him up and put this wrap around it. And not only did it work for him, but it's a company now called PEARS, P-E-A-R-S. They've done more than 700 patients. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a patient with no medical training invented a new kind of surgery that works. Another guy is Doug Lindsay. You can look him up. He came up with a new surgery to solve his family's horrible familial disease. And the other one that a lot of people know about is Dana Lewis and the Open APS, Artificial Pancreas Software people. So watch out over your shoulder for world-changing, life-changing inventions coming from patients. From a pure business perspective, this could be an existential threat to your company as we're talking about the future. The other thing is I have a, a story I love about ChatGPT. I'm acutely aware of the, the warnings about how it could be an existential threat as bad as nuclear weapons, but look at it from a different perspective for a moment. I have a friend who has severely bouncing blood pressure. Nothing they've been able to do has been able to get it under control. Now, on his own, he heard about ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, ABPM. His primary physician was scoffing and skeptical about it. So he went to chat GPT and said, how can I convince my doctor about ABPM? And in 15 seconds, it gave him a two-page tutorial that worked, and he took it to the doctor. My point here is the old assumptions. This, remember, our subject is the evolution of who knows what. The old assumptions about where you go to get guaranteed the best advice, those assumptions are crumbling and falling apart. We all know that ChatGPT spits out wrong garbage sometimes. My point is not that ChatGPT knows everything. It's if you want to not be a dinosaur in your industry 10 years from now, you better start opening your mind and thinking about what are the things that other people might be missing. And that was the theme of my message in my speech in Vienna in 2019. And I'm just so glad that this industry exists and saved both Stacy and me. Thank you, Dave. Stacy, final thoughts from you. I just want to thank you so much, you, Pujita and Dave. It's been an honor. And I am so excited to see everyone in Boston for the DIA Global Annual Meeting. If you liked what I said on this podcast, you've got to come to my session. It's going to be the honor of my life as a patient and a caregiver to chair the session called Beyond the Why, How to Effectively Implement a Patient-Led Approach to Clinical Trial Design and Conduct. That is happening Monday, June 26 at 1.30 p.m. I hope to see everyone and pack the room to show support for patients and caregivers. And then I'm also serving as a panelist in a session titled Full Exposure, 
artificial intelligence to advance, replace, and add efficiency for patient benefit. And that's 8.30 a.m. on Tuesday, the 27th. Really looking forward to continuing this discussion in Boston with everybody. And lastly, if you want sustainable patient insights, don't only ask a patient, but invest in and hire patients as internal subject matter experts and full-time employees of your organization. You know, some, somebody said, I'm glad you brought that up because somebody said on Twitter just a couple of days ago, treat patients like embedded reporters in wartime, people who are there on the front lines. It's a great way to think about it. And my session in Boston is a panel for those who are into the potential of fire for health data. It's a panel on smart on fire. Look forward to seeing everybody there. And I will be at Stacy's sessions for sure. Dave and Stacy, we've had an amazing conversation today. I'd like to end by saying we have really come a long way when it comes to patient engagement and patient-focused drug development with many more opportunities for enhancement and collaboration. Industry and patient stakeholders really need to continue to work together to make patient engagement a systematic and standard practice in medical product development and healthcare decision-making then only can we get the necessary patient experience data that we collectively all need to inform our programs and our decision-making. Similarly, regulators really need to continue to do their part by developing guidances and really advancing this field and working closely with industry and others to harmonize approaches through mechanisms and organizations like ICH. And industry and regulators need to collectively then come together to consider best approaches for communicating how that patient experience data, how does that inform our overall decision making. With that, thank you both very much for joining us today. For DIA, I'm Pajita Vaidya. To learn more about this topic, visit us online at diaglobal.org.